Thank you, everybody, for showing up this morning. Appreciate it. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to be talking about uh, Peter's denial and um, a story that we're all familiar with. So before we go there, I'm going to have to I'm going to ask the Lord for to help and um, get my thoughts put together here. Uh, kind of a difficult, difficult thing to deal with. So, Lord God in heaven, we come to you and we're so, so grateful that you are a God that uh, listens to our prayers, wants to hear our prayers, that you are a God who answers prayer, that you are a God that desires that his children speak to him in prayer. And so, Father in heaven, we're so grateful that uh, we have this open door policy with you and we understand and know that it's because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his atoning sacrifice on our behalf that he has made it possible, Lord, that we can come to you in such a, in such a free way. And we're so grateful for that. Now, Lord, we lift up these folks that were mentioned and we lift up other folks that may have been, may be on our minds and we place them into your capable hands, knowing that you care for them uh, much more than we do. We pray, Father in heaven, for Jim and Ann, that you would give them uh, safety as they travel. I pray, Father, for Randy with his shingles, that you would help him uh, with the pain of that. And I pray also, Lord God, for Heather as she's um, sounds like getting very close to delivering uh, her baby. And be with Luke as well, Father, as, as he uh, waits. And um, just pray for all the folks who can't make it because of COVID or for, or for other reasons that you would just be with them all. I pray now, Lord, as we go through this lesson, Father, that we would take away from it something that would um, uh, just draw us closer to you. And um, not so much head knowledge, Father, but uh, a definite, definite heart knowledge is what we need. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So let's go ahead and let's read this um, passage verses 54 through 62 so at least we'll have the story in our minds and it says here in Luke 22 starting in verse 54 of course they're talking about the arrest of Jesus then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off and when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together Peter sat down among them but a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said this man was also with him and he denied him saying woman I know him not and after a little while another saw him and said thou art also of them and Peter said man I am not And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I believe um, all of us can tell of something uh, that they may have once done or maybe have said and not very proud of it. Something you've done or something you said that you're not very proud about. In fact, you might be absolutely ashamed about whatever it was that you did or whatever it is that you said. And um, I bet I'm not alone in thinking this, but, you know, if it were possible to go back and undo what you did or said, um, probably very few of us would not take advantage of that and go back and undo whatever it was that was said or that was done. But life such as, as it is under the sun, we can't go back and we can't undo those things and we're, or we can't unsay those things. Also, um, the fact of the matter is, um, regardless of how uh, high you might think of yourself, 
And you might say, oh, I would never do that. I remember there was a gal at work uh, that said something about she saw somebody do. And she said, I would never do that. And it wasn't a month later. <laughs> she ended up doing the very same thing. But irregardless, um, all of us, without exception, are prone to failure. Every one of us, without exception, is prone to failure. We're going to fail. We don't want to fail. We may not, you know, we may not think that we will, but we will. And um, so we have the incident here about Peter. And the reason why the story of Peter is so familiar to us, not, not only because we've heard it, but isn't it kind of relatable? Can't you kind of relate to, to Peter? I know I can. You know, it, it, it's uh, who hasn't had a Peter moment, a Simon Peter moment at one time or another in their life. Now, you might recall it was Peter who boasted that he was ready to go with Jesus to prison. And if need be, he was he was ready to die with with uh, Jesus. I mean, um, I think when Peter made that boast, he. he He didn't imagine himself in this situation. I don't think he honestly imagined himself that he would he would find himself in the situation where he would be uh, be pressed to make good on that oath. I mean, we hardly ever do, don't we? Uh, We'll say something, you know, really boldly, really strongly, never imagining that that will be challenged. That we'll end up in a situation that that it will be challenged. You know, Peter, when he made that grand profession of faith, you know, I'll be right with you. I believe Peter believed with all his heart with what he said. He, he, I think he really believed everything he said about not not abandoning Jesus. And uh, it was also Peter that made that great profession of faith that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, you've got the words of eternal life. So Peter was a man who, who um, was good, you know, good about those oaths, those proclamations. And now we find Peter here in a position here in the garden. Here's the very one that he believes is the Christ. Here's the very one that he believes is the, the Son of God. Here's the one that has the words of eternal life. And now he's watching him being bound up and led away by his enemies being bound up and led away by his enemies instead of the conquering Messiah that they thought Jesus was going to be Jesus was now a prisoner of his enemies what happened? what happened? so Peter like the rest of them initially what did they do? When they saw Jesus being bound up, what did they do? They ran away, didn't they? They ran in panic. They all ran away. But Peter stopped. He regained his composure. And um, he turned around and he followed those who, were, who had arrested Jesus. Was he motivated by his love for the Lord? Was he motivated by his loyalty? You know, what was it that motivated Peter to turn around... And um, go to the high priest's uh, house to see what what's what was going to take what was going to take place. In uh, Matthew twenty six fifty eight, it says, "But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. To see the end, Peter wanted to see what was going to happen to Jesus." This was a man he had followed for three years. The one he was convinced was the Christ. The one who had called Peter to be an apostle. The one that was a part of that inner circle along with James and and John. He wanted to see what was going to happen to um, Jesus. You know, Peter, without question, had a genuine, and I believe a fruitful relationship with Jesus. 
And I think it was that relationship with Jesus that compelled Simon Peter to follow that crowd and to see what what would happen with Jesus. That's the importance of relationships. That's the importance of relationships. It wasn't religion that compelled Peter to follow that crowd and enter into this hostile environment, the house of the high priest. It was his relationship with Jesus Christ that compelled Peter to follow to see what was going to happen. Relationships are key. Relationships are so important. It was his relationship with Jesus that put him in that hostile environment, and it was his relationship with Jesus that pained him so much when he ended up denying Jesus three times, and that's why he went out and wept bitterly. It was because of his relationship. If there was no sincere relationship, then there would be no caring, would there? And if there was no relationship, no real relationship there, then there would be no daring of Peter to enter into that hostile environment. And it was because of his relationship with Jesus that he felt his denial so sharply in his heart. Have you ever let somebody down that you love? Do you remember the pain that you felt because of it? If there was no love, you wouldn't care. If there was no love, there would there would be no pain, no grief. This is what Peter felt. That's the heart of discipleship. Why do you think Jesus spent three years with these guys? That's the heart of discipleship. To create and build relationships with Jesus Christ. That's the goal of discipleship. Not to get somebody through the lessons, but to nurture and strengthen and promote that relationship with Jesus Christ. Out of, out of fear for himself, that basic instinct of um, self-survival kicked in, didn't it? When he was identified those three times, that basic instinct of, of self-preservation kicked in. And so he denied Jesus three times. And that's usually the thing that everybody focuses on is is Peter's denials. And I've read a lot of stuff, you know, about that and they they go from all sorts of different angles, but the one thing that I I always fail to see uh for the most part the one thing that uh, people don't the folks that I read don't don't bring out is that Peter was in that hostile environment in the first place because of this relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. That's why he was there in the first place. You see, Peter truly loved Jesus. I believe that. He buckled under pressure because he was weak. He was a man prone to failure. Just like you and me. And just because someone might fail you doesn't mean they don't love you. Does that sound odd? Does that sound odd? They fail you because they're just weak. They're frail. And if the conditions are such and you find yourself sifted and under pressure there's a chance that you too will fail those you love we don't like to think that about ourselves do we but it's true it's true 
I believe Peter truly loved Jesus. I believe Peter truly believed that Jesus was who he believed he was. But Peter was a weak man. He was a weak man. And so we see the sad downward spiral of of Simon's courage as we progress through this story. And he denies him three times. In verse 55 we read, And when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the hall, and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looked upon him, and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. So apparently the night was chilly, so they built a fire. And they were all gathered around the fire to keep warm. And they were all possibly aroused earlier in the evening because Judas had slipped into the high priest's house and said, Hey, I know where Jesus is at. And so these servants saw all the excitement. They saw the armed men getting gathered together. They saw Judas leave with the armed band of men. And then shortly thereafter, here comes Judas, or not Judas, here comes these armed men back with Jesus bound. So they're, they're up. You know, something's going down. And we're going to see this. We're going to be a part of this. So they're up. And they got a fire going. And they're keeping warm to, to see what's going to happen next. And as they were gathered around the fire, talking like people talk whenever there's a drama going on, in slips Peter among the crowd, taking advantage of the warmth of the fire. And one of the gals there in the group, she sees Peter slip into the crowd and she starts to look at him, she starts studying his face, and then it comes to her realizations, hey... You're one of his. You're one of the you're one of the men who follow Jesus around. You're one of you're one of them. Now I can imagine that Peter's nerves are already on edge. I mean, he's walking right into the enemy camp, isn't he? And so he slips in here and he's trying to get warm by the fire. And he gets fingered. Hey, you're one of them. And he does what probably most of us instinctively would do, self-preservation. No, I, I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. It happens to the best of us. Abraham and Isaac... Both of them did the very same thing in regards to their wives because of self-preservation. Genesis 12:11, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, this is talking about Abraham, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Why did Abraham do that? Because he was afraid of his own for his own skin. Self-preservation. The number one priority of the flesh is to preserve the flesh. The number one priority of the flesh is to preserve the flesh. Why do you think there's that warfare going on between the spirit and the flesh? Because the flesh doesn't want to die. The flesh doesn't want to die. Death is abhorrent to the flesh. And the flesh will lie and the flesh will deny and the flesh will do whatever it has to do to save itself. I can relate to Peter in this. I can relate to Peter in this. Maybe some of you can too. After this first denial, 
Matthew in his gospel tells us that Peter moved away from the fire and he went into the porch and the porch is like a a little portico right there in the courtyard it's right near the entrance into the courtyard by the gate maybe Simon thought about escaping that's why he went to where the gate was I don't know I'm just speculating maybe he thought about slipping out into the night like the others had you know the gate's right here but something kept him in that courtyard he didn't slip out of the gate he stayed put he wanted to see what was going to happen again I believe it was his relationship with Jesus that prevented him from slipping out of that gate into the darkness into the safety of the night at this point yeah he'd already been identified yes he'd already denied him because of that self-preservation kicking in but still that relationship to Jesus still had some control some power in him and he was going to see it through but remember what Jesus warned Peter he warned Peter hey the devil's going to sift you Peter but I prayed for you so the devil's getting ready to take a hold of that what are they called sieves sieves and he's going to give it another shake (laughs) as far as Peter's concerned verse 58 and after a little while another saw him and said thou art also of them and Peter said man I am not so there's the shaking once again Peter is recognized by another according to Mark and Matthew's gospel it was another maid that recognized him a little gal (laughs) put this big burly fisherman on the run but um, Peter again this is speculation on my part I'm just trying to visualize the scene Peter ignoring the maid instead addresses the men who are in the crowd when he says man I am not I thought that was kind of odd here it was a maid and yet he speaks to the men I like to watch westerns it annoys my wife but I like to watch westerns I enjoy them I like reading Louis L'Amour and those kind of books I just I just do and how many times has this scenario played out in a western where the villain is confronted by the hero before a crowd about his wrongdoings about his crimes and the villain instead of addressing his accuser what is the what does the bad guy usually do he turns to the crowd you're right he's trying to convince the crowd of his innocence trying to convince the crowd that no these are all false so what's he trying to do he's trying to get the crowd on his side right he's trying to deflect the blame from himself trying to take the attention off of his accuser and he's trying to appeal to the crowd to get the crowd on his side this is what I see Peter doing here he's completely ignoring this maid just like a man (laughs) and he's appealing to the men in the group right to deflect attention from himself and try to get the men on his side paraphrase surely men you aren't going to believe the word of this maiden are you I don't know this man she's mistaken you gotta believe me mano a mano you gotta believe me guys that's what he's doing my thoughts are that Simon's conscience at this time is really beginning to play on him really starting to rake him over the coals part of him wants to get out of there part of him wants to flee while the fleeing is good 
but another part of him is compelled to stay because of his relationship with Jesus. If only they would leave him alone. If only they would leave him alone with his misery and his fear. Leave him be. Give him some peace as he watches what's going on. But there could be no peace for Simon, could there? Because there's this wrestling going on inside of his heart. There's never any peace if you're wrestling with your conscience. If your conscience by the Holy Spirit is telling you one thing and your flesh is telling you another. There's no peace in that. There never will be peace in that. I mean, here Simon had vowed to stick with the Lord even unto death. And now he was skulking around the courtyard like a shameful coward. Fearful of being discovered. Running away from maids who identified him. And now... He finds him in a place where he denies him the second time. The second time. Mark tells us in Mark 14.30 that after his first denial, a, a rooster crowed. After his first denial, a rooster crowed. Because in Mark chapter 14, Jesus said, before the cock crow twice, you're going to deny me thrice. So after that first denial, I'm not going to do a -a (laughs) cock-a-doodle-doo, he hears this rooster crow. Now put yourself in Peter's place. When you heard that rooster crow, uh, uh uh-oh. I remember Jesus saying this about me. You know, sometimes God will do that. When you're headed down a certain way, there there may be a a rooster crow. (laughs) Not literally, but you know what I'm talking about. Hey, Jeff, um, that's not the right way to go. That's not the right way to behave, Jeff. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I pay attention. Sometimes I ignore it. And I don't think I'm the only one. So he hears that rooster crow. And he remembers what Jesus said about him denying Jesus three times. Now I'm thinking, again, this is speculation on my part. I'm thinking his fear is now exasperated by being angry at himself. Don't you find yourself that way sometimes? You get angry. How can I be so stupid? What was I thinking? I know better than that. So you get kind of angry with yourself. And you get annoyed. I've had folks uh, just come up and make statements and they, have, they haven't a clue what it is that they're saying. But for some reason, it, it, it directly impacts what's going on. Don't you find that annoying? So there's that anger and there's that annoyance and that's what's going on with Peter. You know? He's angry at himself. He's annoyed about being questioned about his relationship with Jesus. And so what does he do? He he strikes out. You know, people who are angry with themselves about something they don't like about themselves, you know what they do? They strike out in anger with anger at others. 
They'll get angry at you for something that they are guilty of. They look upon others as the source of their anger, not realizing that what's going on inside is the real problem. And so instead of dealing with it maturely, they get angry at you. What is that old saying? Kill the messenger? Because you don't like the message? They know they're wrong. They know they're not in the right place. But instead of dealing with it maturely, they deal deal with it with being angry at others. Well, I'm just not going to talk to you. Why? What did I do? Well, some friend you are. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to be, is your friends. And the third denial. In about the space of one hour. One hour. He had one hour to think about all this. All right? About the space of one hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. In Matthew's gospel, it says in Matthew 26, 73, And after a while, or that hour that Luke talks about, came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. You don't hear that word much. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. So not only did they recognize Peter's features, his face, they also recognized him that he was a Galilean by his accent. That's what it means by bereath thee. Thy speech bereath thee. We know you're a Galilean because of your accent. And we know that those who followed Jesus were from Galilee. So not only do we recognize your features, but we also recognize you from your accent. Yes, you're one of his. It's like knowing somebody comes from Jersey. Right? When I go down and see my dad in Louisiana, we run into folks who live in deep south Louisiana who are Cajun. You can tell they're Cajun by their accent. I remember one time, I don't remember where it was I went, I was someplace on the east coast and somebody said I had an accent you're from so and so and I said yeah, I could tell by your accent I don't think I have an accent, do you, do you think I have an accent? <laughs> no yeah, it's because your accent is my accent but so anyway Peter's accent betrayed him So Peter's response was, So, you think my accent is proof, do you? Well, let me give you some choice words, and then let's see what you think about my accent. Because that's what the swearing and the cursing was all about. He started talking like the fisherman that he was. I actually saw that take place one time when I worked for um, TWA. There was a man who was a Christian, but he was put under pressure. And I don't know why he did this, but he started to blaspheme the very Lord that he claimed in order to take the pressure off of him. Again, that flesh, that flesh. Peter's fear is now given away to a guilt-fueled anger. And now he lashes out with cursings and foul language. Why? 
to convince his accusers that he did not know Jesus. Did it succeed? No. No. And after the third denial, that pesky old rooster crowed again. And Luke is the only one who writes this next bit. Luke, um, verse 60 here, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew, verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. You see, while Peter was in the courtyard going through his own personal trial, the Lord was on trial before his enemies and his false accusers. And while Jesus was answering his accusers and being buffeted by them, not only by their words, but also by their fists, right? I believe that Jesus was also aware of what Peter was going through. Because remember, he said, Peter, Satan's desires to sift you, and I will pray for you. What an amazing thing to think about. Here Jesus is going through his own horrible ordeal, and yet he still has his man, Peter, on his mind. And when Peter denies the Lord cursing and swearing and that cock crows Jesus takes a moment from his own ordeal and he turns around and he looks at Peter eye to eye I heard a preacher one time say that um What Peter experienced at that moment is what a saved man or woman will experience at the judgment seat of Christ when they realize that in denying the lordship of Jesus in their life, they had squandered that great salvation God had given them. That's good preaching. And I'm certainly not going to detract from that. It's certainly sobering to think about. But getting back to Peter's relationship with the Lord, remember he was in there in the first place because of his relationship with Jesus. He was going through everything he was going through because of his relationship with Jesus. What do you think Peter saw in those eyes of Jesus when Jesus turned around and looked at him? Was it accusatory? Was it, um, I told you so? Was it condemning? Was it disappointment? Was it sadness? You know what I think it was? Love. I think what Peter saw in those eyes when Jesus turned and looked at him was pure and simple love. The kind of understanding love that knows of the infirmities of the flesh and the weakness of our natures. I think it was a love that conveyed forgiveness. I think that's what smote Peter's heart. I think that's what drove Peter out to weep bitterly. For he knew that it wasn't so much Jesus the man that he had denied, but the love of Jesus that he knew. You see, the law sin against God's law. 
And they'll be judged according to that law. The saved, we sin against God's love. We either grace the grace that saved us, or we disgrace the grace that saved us. We sin against his love. This is why I say it was Peter's relationship with Jesus that compelled him to enter into that hostile environment to see the end. It was Peter's relationship with Jesus that made him angry with himself for being the coward that he was in that courtyard. It was his relationship with Jesus that overwhelmed him with grief when he looked eye to eye to Jesus and saw that love knowing that it was the love of Jesus that he had betrayed. And that's what drove him out to weep bitterly. He failed the one who cared the most about him. And now in his mind at this moment... He believed that he must live with that failure for the rest of his life. You ever been there? You ever been in a place in your mind where because of something you did or said, you felt like you're going to carry that burden for the rest of your life? That's a horrible, horrible place to be horrible place to be and here to me is the point of Peter's story because we know that Peter did not have to live the rest of his life with his failure did he because we know that after Jesus rose from the dead what did he do did he reject Peter no he restored him He restored Peter. And not so much that Jesus needed the restoration. It was Peter who needed the restoration in this relationship. Peter was accepted. Peter was forgiven as far as Jesus was concerned. It was Peter himself who needed to come to this realization that he was forgiven by the Lord for what he had done. And it was Peter who needed to realize that between he and Jesus, that relationship was still sound. And you know, I think that that is the greatest burden that so many people carry around with them is this lack of awareness that they have been forgiven. And so like the man in Pilgrim's Progress, they continue to carry this burden on their shoulders. Not realizing that was the whole reason why Jesus came and died on the cross. To relieve them of that burden. But yet there are still people, Christians, who walk around with that burden. To me, Peter was an honest man. What you saw is what you got. Peter wasn't the type of person who was always trying to play off his perfection. You ever been around somebody like that? They try to play off that they're perfect. They're some sort of super saint. That's not Peter. Peter was honest. He was real. He was an honest, humble man, flawed, but he loved Jesus. And that's the kind of man that God looks for. Honest, humble, sincere, real. He can work with somebody like that. Flawed or not. 
in the restorative grace of God. I mean, the Lord would later use Peter, a man who did crack under pressure, to write an epistle. And the theme of that epistle is how to live a bold faith under pressure. Do you think he learned his lesson? Read first Peter. What an amazing book that is for Christians under persecution and under pressure for their faith. Proverbs 12.25 says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Peter had a heavy heart that night as he escaped out into the night and found some place uh, to weep his bitter tears of failure. I believe he carried his heavy heart all the way to the day to the shore of that lake when the Lord called them out of the out of the lake and was fixing dinner for them by the shore and Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Jesus gave Peter a good word that day. A word of renewal, a word of healing, a word of forgiveness, a word of understanding. But you know what forgiven people really need to know? That they're accepted. They're accepted. And that's what Peter needed to know. That he was accepted in the beloved. Peter in his mind had failed the Lord by denying him in that courtyard. And the Lord gave Peter a good word that day on the shoreline because Peter needed to hear that he was forgiven and he was accepted. And folks, if you're dealing with somebody like that, that's what they need to hear. They don't need to hear condemning words. They don't want to they don't want to, they don't need to hear words that keep them in the pits. They need to hear words of forgiveness. They need to hear the words of acceptance. Hey, okay, you failed, but God is a God of grace. Let's move on. But unfortunately, there's people out there that keep other people under their thumb for whatever reason, I don't know. Psalms 130, verse 3 and 4 says... If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Nobody. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. What a good word that is. Yes, Peter's story is a story of failure, but Peter's story is also a story of restoration. Jesus did not leave Peter on the trash heap of life. (laughs) And sadly, so many people, that's the way they treat others. Jesus pulled him out of the trash heap. And Jesus became the man that Jesus said he was going to become after the sifting. God's grace, truly amazing grace, willing to forgive, willing to restore, turning failure into victory, weakness into strength, tragedy into triumph. God's grace. See, Judas had no relationship with Jesus, and in the wickedness of his heart, he betrayed Jesus. And when he realized his crime, He succumbed to the darkness that was already there in his heart. And now he's in eternal darkness. Peter, yes, denied his Lord because of the infirmity of his flesh. Not because he didn't love Jesus, not because he didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, but because he was weak spiritually. He didn't heed what Jesus said to him. Pray that you enter not into temptation. He was weak spiritually. 
He was trusting in his what? Flesh. So he was prone to fail. He was set up for failure. Psalms 34.18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. You see, it's the contrite heart that the gates of God's grace is opened wide to. And who are we to try and slam those gates in the face of people? When Peter came to the full realization of what he did, he became overwhelmed with sorrow. He went out and wept tears of remorse and repentance. He was a contrite man. He was a broken-hearted man. And that's what qualified That's what qualified him in his heart to be forgiven and restored. You see, the cross of Jesus is the proof that God will go to great lengths to bring reconciliation and restoration to those who are of a humble and contrite heart because God is a God of restoration he is a God of healing and no situation is too far gone for God to restore those who come to him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit and who are we to get in the way Amen. Lord God in heaven, we thank you, Father, for the story of Peter. It's a reminder to all of us that we are all weak, that we're all prone to failure. And God, forgiveness that in our pride that we look at others who are struggling and who are weak and who are going through the sifting that we pass judgment on them. Wouldn't we rather, Father, go and help them and support them and strengthen them and give them good words of encouragement? Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we pray, Father, that we would grace the grace by which we are saved. And may we not disgrace the grace by which we are saved by not showing grace to others. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.